On Tuesday, I've been talking to you about the Sabbath. There's something you have to remember about God's holy days in the Old Testament. You have to remember that that was a shadow. Shadow is the word skia. Hebrews 10 and 1 says, The law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image. The reason I move over to the right of the board to put image is because the image is in the New Testament. Image is the word icon. It means represent. It means it means likeness or the real thing. The image casts a shadow. Why would God have the shadow come first? He doesn't have the shadow come first. It was all in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. His church was in his mind. Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And our names were written in the book of life. Our names are written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. So if that's the real then the shadow is not the real thing. You had a temple over here, and over here we're the temple of God. You had the, well, I always put it in the, I put it up on the board this way. I put it like this. You had a, you had a temple over here. I've got a picture of the tabernacle on the board up here, up on, in a picture on the wall. That's the exact dimensions of the temple. When it was built, a tabernacle is a mobile temple. It was a, they were in the wilderness moving it when the cloud moved or the fire moved. They moved. Well, this is the temple of God, the temple. And in the New Testament, the Bible says, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And over here, you had an Ark of the Covenant, Ark, and the Ark was sprinkled. was sprinkled with the blood of a goat on the Day of Atonement. A goat, not a lamb. That's in Leviticus, the 16th chapter. That's the Day of Atonement. Leviticus, all through that chapter. And on this on this, on this, this uh, brazen altar, you had inside the temple, you had the candlesticks. The Bible shows that the candlesticks in the New Testament is the seven churches of Asia seven churches and they had to be refined the candlesticks were of gold the altar the uh, the ark of the covenant was set up on top of it was that's where christ would come down out of the cloud and rule israel from then you had the altar of incense and that is the prayers of the saints according to the fourth chapter of revelation and then you had the table of showbread we being many are one bread and one body and then we're washed in the blood of christ that was the brazen seal you'll find that in first kings the second chapter the seventh chapter and then this was the altar that's a picture of the cross that Jesus died on and that's a picture of the daily cross we're lambs to the slaughter and they offered a lamb every morning at six o'clock or at sunup and it's six o'clock in the evening at sundown so everything over here is equal to everything over here 
We are the temple of God. And the Bible says our hearts are sprinkled. Hearts sprinkled. And the law is written on tables of stone kept inside the Ark of the Covenant. Now the law is written on fleshy tables of our hearts. Fleshy tables of the heart. So our hearts are the Ark of the Covenant. I keep saying Indiana Jones can forget looking for the Ark of the Covenant. It's our heart, but the heart is not the right ventricle and the left ventricle and the bicuspid valve and the tricuspid valve and the aorta. And it's not those. The heart was the place of understanding when you sit in Scripture. Understanding. Where do you get that? Oh, out of so many places. Understanding. So that was what it was. It was a place to understand. Now, the Old Testament is equal to the New. Usually I'll draw a temple over here in the New, and I'll draw it with broken lines to show it's just us. I don't know why people don't believe Israel is the, that the church is spiritual Israel. I draw with broken lines because that's a picture of us. And our hearts are this, our hearts are the ark. Our, our hearts are sprinkled there in Hebrews ten twenty two, And we are all these things that they had over there in the Old Testament. That's us right here. Now, we've been talking about believing God. I have been going through particularly unbelief. And that's why I put this thing up here like this. Unbelief is the opposite of believe. Be, when we're saved by grace through faith, I wrestled with this as a teenager. I couldn't understand how we saved by grace through faith. And Paul told the Philippian jailer, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. If you're saved by belief and by faith, how can they be the same thing? Well, they are. Faith is the noun, believe is the verb. The word endings are changed depending on some character of the word. P-I-S-T is called the stem. You notice it's got the same stem in believe and in faith. And the word is built on that stem. So an E-U-O means this is a verb. I-S means that's a noun. But they're the same basic words. So if believe is a verb and it shows action, then that's something you do. Does the Bible say we have to do the things of God? Yes, it does. When the Bible, when people, will, my father would quote Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, but he never quoted verse 10. Never. For by grace you are saved through faith and not, not of yourselves. Not of works, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not of ergon. That means to toil. But the next verse, verse 10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in these good works. I don't know why all those independent Baptists I was raised around, they ignored that verse. We're his poema, P 
P-O-I-E-M-A. Poema. Poema is not the same thing as ergon. That's good works. We're his, that's, that's workmanship. Workmanship. Something that's a workmanship is something that is designed. It does mean to work, but it has the idea of a tapestry. Something like a tapestry or a mosaic. A mosaic. Something that has orderly arrangement to it. Mosaic. So that's poema. Where his workmanship created in Christ Jesus into good works. Good is the word agathos. A-G-A-T-H-O-S. That's the common word good. It's the same word in Romans 8 and 28. Romans 8 and 28. And we know that all things work together for good only to them that love God, not to everybody in the world, to them that love God. Now, love is agape in that verse. Agape was a, it was a relationship that kings had for their subjects that fathers had for their families. They gave, the king would give his subjects laws and they would willingly walk in them. So, that's why I've quoted this a thousand times if I've quoted it once this year. Second John 6, this is love. That word love is agape. You got two words, agape and phileo. Well, you talk about mistranslation. I don't believe in the translators that translated the King James Bible at all. I've spent my life, I've spent the last 40 years, 45 years, digging into the King James Bible along with the interlinear Bible. The interlinear is the inspired Word of God, not the King James. I use the King James. Why? Because it comes from this. That's why I use it. This is an interlinear Bible. You're probably not going to know what to do with it if you buy one. Most people say, I want to get me one. (laughs) You have to be able to look at the words, copy it down. This is... In the New Testament, you've got the Greek on the top line and the English under it. Now, I don't trust translators of any kind because I don't even trust the guys who translated in the interlinear. This is Green's interlinear Bible, J.P. Green. Before he died, I called him one time. I called him and said, Mr. Green, do you know anything about parsing or about analytical lexicon? He said, no. That's what he told me. No. What he did, he hired some men to translate right under the Greek. So I don't trust those translators. I go to the Greek word, pull it out, write it on a paper, and then I study it from all these directions, find out what what part of speech it is. How do you do that? With an analytical lexicon. i got several of them. I got several of them, three or four of them at home, one up here. They're all the same thing. They have all of the parts of speech, but you've got to memorize the Greek alphabet to look them up to look this word up in here. 
You've got to memorize the Greek alphabet, then look it up in an analytical lexicon. I prefer mis- not not they're all the same. They have the same words in it. When you get your word out of the interlinear Bible, copy it down on a piece of paper. And then look in here, it'll tell you if it's a verb, a noun, if it's past tense. If it's past tense, it'll say aorist. It'll say A-O-R-I-N-D. Aorist indicative means past tense. That means it happened in the past, but to get further into that, there's more things that go with the past tense. In fact, you got different types of past tense verbs. You got you've got constitutive, constitutive. You've got ingressive. And then you've got consumative. Constitutive means it's a verb that started in the past, but it continues. That's like Paul said, I died daily. That would be constant, wouldn't it? Dying daily. It won't tell you if it's a constitutive in here. You have to go by the context. And ingressive means it starts in an ingress. I know what ingressive is. I sold real estate for years. An ingress, if you live in Tennessee and you own a piece of property on a road. I, in fact, I listed a property like this one time. I didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> it was hard to sell it. And then behind it, you got a track of land. You got land here, land here. Land here and over here. And ingress, Tennessee State, I'm sure they say the same thing. If you own a piece of property, one of these guys out front, they'll probably require this guy here to give you an ingress into your land. That means a little road has to be made and has to let you have access to your property. An ingress is something that starts. Well, an ingressive, an ingressive aristindicative, one that starts in the past, but it's a lot like a constative, but it doesn't tell you if and when it ends. A consumative uh, aristindicative is one that happens once and it's consumed. So it depends on the context of Scripture. Jesus died once. So that would be a consumative. So, now I don't know what got me on this, but I believe, what I believe is this Greek text. This is what they used to translate the King James Bible from 1605 to 1611. Don't even believe in the guys that translated this. So I look at the word, and then I explain it to you in English since you, since we all don't speak Greek. Besides this, this Greek the Greek of the New Testament is a dead language. It's not spoken anymore. It doesn't have any J's or Q's in it. It has it has an alpha primitive that's used constantly in words. Alpha primitive. Let me write that down. Alpha primitive. 
that's very important. Privative. The alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. If you're looking in your concordance and it says from one now all the words that are in the Bible are listed alphabetically in a Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. If you have a Strong's if you don't have one, everybody needs one. I wear these out like crazy. I've got one that's in two pieces on the floor of my office at home. I mean, they're just poor to the... I've got several other concordances that are just falling apart. I use them constantly. And what you do is you look up a word in the concordance, and it will give you... If it's a New Testament word... Everything is listed alphabetically. And you go, you look at a word, and you go down the line and look it to the right of it, and if it's, uh, if it, if it's in the New Testament, you look to that number to the right, and you look it up in the Greek dictionary in the back. Look up that number, it'll tell you how it's spelled, how it's pronounced, and a definition, but that's just the beginning. I've got all kinds of other books that expand on the definitions, like these encyclopedias or the Hastings or any other. i got numbers of books on word studies. So that's where you, you go to. You go into this. And then when it'll say in the dictionary in the back, if it has an alpha privative on it, it will say in your concordance, It'll say from one as a neg part. That word means negative particle. The negative particle is the alpha. That means as a, the alpha used as a negative particle negates the word that's going to follow and gives an opposite meaning. That's just like atypical. Means not typical. Asexual means not sexual. There's no sex to it. It would be neuter gender. So, and the reason I'm introducing you to this alpha privative, it has to do with no faith, unbelief. When you look at the word unbelief, it's usually in the New Testament, it is the word unbelief is alpha pistis. Remember, pistis is the word, pistis is the word faith. So anytime you find no faith, I got to put another word up there. There's a difference between no faith and little faith. Every time you find little faith, it is the word oligos, O-L-I-G-O-S-P-I-S-T-I-S. Pistis is the word faith. Oligos is the word puny. Puny. 
It doesn't mean you don't have any faith. It means you got puny faith. And faith has to grow. And the more faith grows, let me put it up here this way. The more faith grows, I've been preaching on the Sabbath. Everything in the Old Testament was a shadow. What happened to the shadows? What happened to that temple? Well, it's being fulfilled in us, the spiritual temple of God. What happened to the Ark of the Covenant? It's in our hearts. What happened to the law written on tables of stone? It's written on fleshy tables of our hearts. All of this over here was blotted out. I didn't say that. The Bible says it. Colossians 2.14 Jesus, or Paul says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. All the shadows over here, the rituals they performed, the, you can say rituals. Rituals. There's two laws written. One is on tables of stone. One is on fleshy tables of the heart. Now the one on tables of stone, I believe all my heart was blotted out. Blotting out the handwriting of rituals, which was contrary to us. It was against us. Colossians 2.14 Taking it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. You're not going to have any idea what that means unless you wouldn't know what nailing it to his cross means. I've never heard a preacher even talk about that. If you go into Mr. Lightfoot's commentary on Colossians, especially Colossians 2.14, he will tell you if they wanted to do away with one contract, everything was done Contracts were all done with two witnesses and they were acted out in the Old Testament. They acted out their contracts. When Jesus said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, he was acting out a contract. When he said, this bread is my body. The word is not is. Our word is is a form of the verb to be. It wasn't is, it was the word esteem. When he said is, that's English. We've got to go back to the Greek. Is is the word esteem, it means means. It means my body. How many bodies are there? There's one body, and the body's the church. I don't need to go into that. I've got to go back into that Saturday. Now let me get back to this. Blotting out the handwriting of all the rituals was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Every contract they did had to have two witnesses to them. The Bible says so in Numbers 35. They had to have two reliable witnesses. And in Numbers 35 and in Deuteronomy 17... And Deuteronomy 19. Two witnesses. Everything had to have that. Even Jesus looked to the Pharisees over there in John and said, In your law it's written that two witnesses is true. They had to verify with two honest men. So when they were going to blot out a contract, they would take the two witnesses who were honest. If one of them was dishonest and they found out that he was a witness to some evil, 
that he had to suffer the same penalty if he lied in his witnessing as that man that he was accusing something of. So, they would take the two witnesses out, say, you were there when this contract started. They'd say, yes. And they'd tell the two original contracting parties, you contracted this with each other. They'd say, yes. And you want to invalidate this contract. They'd say, yes. So they'd take a nail and drive it through the original contract. That held up in their courts of law. Colossians 2.14 is one of the most important verses in all the New Testament. Everything that was spiritual over here has been blotted out and it's still going on over here. The Bible says in Exodus, Exodus, the the, the 12th chapter, that the Passover would be here forever. We're in a spiritual Passover now and I have preached about that. Now we're talking about faith. We're talking about no faith. We were talking about over there in Hebrews. I love the book of Hebrews. It's about spiritual Israel. It's what it's about. If you think that was something written to a bunch of Jews that were Christians, it wasn't. It was written to all of us that are believers. We're Jews of the heart. A Jew is not outwardly, but of the heart. Circumcision is of the heart. Circumcision was a sign of a Jew in the Old Testament in Genesis 17 when God promised Abraham, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. But you have to circumcise the foreskin of the flesh. Now circumcision is spiritual. Colossians, the second chapter, Ephesians, the second chapter, says so. Now, back over here. Let's go back to Hebrews. I'm having a hard time getting out of this. Uh, everything that I teach synthesizes together. The 70 weeks of Daniel, Revelation. I taught four and a half years on the book of Revelation. 236 messages out. I didn't even finish it. Revelation is a magnificent book, but nobody knows what it means. Don't listen to Jack Van Ebby or Al Lindsay or those so-called prophecy teachers. It's a Jewish book. What amazes me when I say that, you find the Jewishness in the first chapter. There's seven candlesticks. I wonder where that came from. Maybe Exodus, the 25th chapter? I guess so. You got the throne all through that. The throne of God was the Ark of the Covenant. Now he sets upon fleshy tables of our heart, which is his throne. How these how these guys get along and call themselves prophecy teachers in the book of Revelation and they guess at stupid things. They say dumb things. I'm I if I don't if I'm not careful I'll get off on that. Now we're talking about faith and no faith. He says over here in Hebrews all through the book of Hebrews, the third and fourth chapter He's talking about the people that were over here coming out of Egypt, the Israelites coming out of Egypt. And as they're coming out, they go down into, I need some way to find these things without having to go through all of them. All right. 
I'll find it in a minute. Here, Sinai. Hebrews 3 and 4 is about the Sinai Peninsula. This is on the south eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. This is the Mediterranean Sea. This is Israel up here, right here. They come out of Egypt. They go down to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai in that 18th chapter of Exodus, comes down in the 20th chapter with the commandments written on tables of stone, goes up to Kadesh Barnea, and God tells him to go in and attack these Anakims. The, the men of Anak, they were giants. And they said, we're grasshoppers in their sight, and we can't attack them. Or probably, they were in all probability Goliath's ancestors. And they said, we can't attack them. God said, you were 40 days in there uh, spying out the land. I'm going to give you 40 years in the wilderness till I kill off everybody that has not believed that you could go in there. And everyone from 20 years old and upward, which was military age in Israel, has to die. Since none of you soldiers were willing, only two men were willing to go in, Joshua and Caleb. These are the only two righteous men above 20 years old. And God kills them all off and he says, and you're going to have to kill off that unbelief and what's left will get to enter into Israel right here above the Dead Sea. They'll go. They'll cross uh, the Jordan River and they'll encamp in Gilgal, a place called Gilgal. That's the first place they encamped. And it's very important to know about Gilgal, but I don't have time to go there. Now, we're talking about in this third and fourth chapter of Hebrews, God is talking about these people. And he's talking about they could not enter into the promised land, which was Israel after 400 years in Egypt. They couldn't enter in because of unbelief. He said, you didn't have, you had apistus, the alpha primitive negates the word. It means no faith. They didn't have any faith. They didn't believe God could conquer all these men of Anak. If you'll notice, Gaza and Ashkelon, those are Philistine cities. The future will be the Philistines. That is the Gaza Strip or the land of the Philistines, or the land of Anak. So they said, we can't go in. So God's going to say, I'm going to kill all the military men. And then the rest of the people, I'm going to make you wonder 40 years in the wilderness in order for you to enter into, and he called Canaan the Sabbath, where they could rest. Sabbath means rest. You know, I've said this over and over so many times. The more I talk about it, the clearer it becomes to me. So he talks about this rest, this unbelief, all through the Scriptures. And he says, he tells you what faith is, but I want us to look at, there's a couple of verses that I'm using as springboard verses. He's talking to Israel, 
in verse 8 of chapter 3, Harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my works forty years in the wilderness. So in order to enter into the Sabbath or enter into Canaan, they're going to have to do what God says. But these people, 20 years old and upward, that were military men, they had to die. This is the same thing. I've said it nearly every time I teach on this. This is the exact same thing as the inner and the outer man. The men that were murmuring against God was a picture of the outer man. The outer man, you're going to find this over in Romans 7. Romans 7th chapter. Paul said, I've got a man that's in me, present tense. When I do the things that I would not, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. Dwelleth comes from the word oikos, means house. It's housed in this flesh. I can't get away from it. But that's not an excuse to sin. Shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. So this is a, it's in Romans 7. It's in 2 Corinthians. The seventh, the fourth chapter. It's in Colossians. The third chapter. This is also in Galatians. The fifth chapter. And it's talking about the inner and Ephesians. The fourth chapter. It's talking about put on, put on the new man. And we are born, like Paul says in Romans 7, with an outer man. We're all born with an outer man that works to serve the flesh. He says, I said, with that outer man, I serve the law of the flesh. With the inner man, that's the new birth. Only God's elect have the inner man. That's the new birth. That's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he says, Christ in you serves the law of God. I'm going to say it one more time. This inner man cannot sin. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. But you say, I've still got sin in my life. I know that. And the Bible says by the same man, 1 John 1 and 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So this inner and outer man equals Romans 7. Romans seven twenty-five. That's where he talks about the inner and the outer man. So, what we're in is a wrestling match, and God's going to send us all kinds of fire and trial and persecution and tribulation to burn out our pride and self and conceit and everything that we are in this outer man. And it takes years to be able to burn that out and enter into God's rest. Now, I'm going to read that verse one more time in the fourth chapter. All through here, he's talking about entering into God's rest. There's a word that's connected to the Sabbath. Katapasis. 
Katapasis is one of the words rest in these verses. And God equates that with the Sabbath of rest. That's a spiritual Sabbath. When you're young and you got a lot of desire and the hormones are flying and, and you got all this stuff going to your body and I want to do this and do that and I want to get this and get that and I want her and I want him and I want that car and that house and I want what I want. You got that when you're young. The more you go through fire and trials and persecution and persecution, God is burning out that desire. And believe me, when you get up in your 60s and up to your 80s especially, I'm 81, I don't want the things that I wanted when I was young. I don't want them. I don't want the sin I wanted. Sin is work. It's work. You will either work for self and work has to do with no Sabbath that's what he's talking about there's that word caught off process means to pause down p-a-u-s-e pause caught off means down or settle down and he's talking about going into the land of Israel as the true spiritual Sabbath. But he said these people didn't have any faith in God, and he says that in the last two verses of Hebrews 3. And to whom swore he that they could not enter into his rest, his apostles, but to them that believed not. It was no faith. They didn't believe they could conquer those men of Anak. What gets me... They said, we can't conquer these giants. And God just some months before had conquered the greatest army in the world in the Red Sea. He had slaughtered. He just had Pharaoh march down in the sea, pulled his chariot wheels off and says, now drive against my people. God is the one that's fighting our fights, not you and I. I don't believe in fighting anybody anymore. For what? I have never fought anybody where they where I turned their face around and got them to agree with me. Never had an argument, have you? Never. Well, I could beat some guy up when Rusty was young. He'd beat up a lot of guys. But that didn't make them come to your side, did it? Don't make them say, well, I agree with you, Rusty. You're, you're a big martial arts champion. Uh, that don't make them agree. That just means you can beat them up. That's all it means. It doesn't turn people around. Only God can turn people. So he equates entering into Israel, Canaan, with the Sabbath. And he says here, Whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? Talking about all the men from 20 years old and upward in the wilderness. But to them that believe not, I pissed us no faith. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Unbelief is the word apistus, no faith. They didn't have any faith. The older you get, the more you find out you're going to let God do your fighting and you're not going to fight anymore. How do you stay out of a fight? Real easy. You stay away 
from people who fight, don't you? I'm not going to go around people who fight. And if they start fighting me, I walk away. It, it doesn't do any good to fight a vessel of wrath fitted to destruction. And that's most of the people in the world. Broad is the, wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many go in the broad way because straight is the gate, and now is the way that leads to eternal life. And only a few enter in. So most of the people you talk to in the world are vessels of wrath. And they're not going to heaven. Why are you going to fight them? They have a, they have a twisted mind toward God. Now, I've gone through a lot of this before. But what I want to do is take you into, let me give you this one verse one more time. You've got this word katapostis, or a form of it, in verse 1 of chapter 4, talking about entering into his katapostis. Then you've got katapostis in verse 3, twice, for we which have believed to enter into rest... And then he says, if they shall enter into my rest, that same verse called apostles. And then verse 4, for he spake in a certain place of the seventh day, which is the Sabbath day. But that's all, but those rituals all been blotted out. If they shall, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. And then he says in verse 4, Speaking of the seventh day, and God did rest, called apostles. And then he says in verse 5, If they shall enter into my called apostles, my rest. I'm reading this again so I can in, impact you with the fact that the rest, the called apostles, is equated with the Sabbath. Then he says in verse 8, For Jesus has given, if Jesus had given them called apostles, rest. He's still talking about the same people in chapter 3 that murmured against God and provoked God. So provoke keeps you from entering into rest. They were complaining against Moses and Aaron for leading them in the wilderness to die. This is a picture. I keep saying this. This Sinai Peninsula is a picture of our lives. That's what it's a picture of. We need to believe God when we come against the giants of the world. We don't fight the giants of the world. We back away and let him fight them for us. I don't get in the middle of a fight. I wouldn't argue with somebody. Two minutes. Not going to do that. Don't believe in debating. I'll be, I'll, I'm willing to sit and tell somebody the truth about the Bible and give them the Greek words and give them the culture and the custom, the idioms and metaphors, but I'm going to sit and argue with them as to whether it's true or not. Especially to an ignorant man that doesn't know nothing about it. Now, so this is a picture of our lives. This is talking about when they come up to the giant's you got giants in your life. Don't try to fight them. God will do whatever fighting He wants to do. Now, there's no faith. There's little faith. There is oligos pistis. There's oligos. Little faith. I must erase that. Little faith. 
God said that many times. Little faith is not the same thing as no faith. Jesus kept telling the apostles, O ye of old L-I-G-O-S, Oligospistus, little faith. You got puny faith. How in the world could the apostles have puny faith? They were boys. (laughs) They were not men. They were kids. I call anybody in their late teens and early 20s kids because that's what they are. Jesus did not call a bunch of old gray-haired men to follow him and be his apostles. What's really comical is you'll see Jesus walking through some field of corn or wheat and these old men are following behind him. He wouldn't call old men to be his apostles. They had little faith. They were boys, young boys, probably 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, at the most. How could John, one of the apostles, how could he in 30 A.D., that's when Jesus called him when he was young. He started his ministry somewhere around 30 A.D. Maybe not exact, but somewhere in that neighborhood. How can John the Beloved write Revelation in 96 A.D. if he was an old man in 30 A.D.? How could he have done that? He couldn't. He'd end up being 150 years old over here. 120. He was just a kid. So he would tell them, O ye of Oligospistus. And then Peter would say, Add to your faith. Increase your faith. How does your faith increase? It's real simple. It's an instruction in the Scripture. I want us to look at some things. Look at Matthew. Well, let me finish reading this here. There remaineth, therefore, in verse 9, there remaineth, therefore, the rest to God's children, to the people of God. That word rest is not called apostles. Every other word in here, rest, is called apostles. And this word is sabbatismos. There remaineth a sabbath, it's A-B-B-I-S-T-I-S-M-O-S. There's a Sabbath of these people of God that I'm trying to tell them to enter into the Kadapasis. He's equating a literal happening over here with a spiritual happening in our life. We have to enter into God's rest. The older I get, the less I don't work for myself. And he calls our works the works of the flesh. And he says, verse 10, For he that entered into, there remaineth therefore a Sabbath to the people of God. For he that is entered into his kataposis, rest, also hath ceased from his own works. He's saying when you enter into the Sabbath of God, you cease from your ergon. E-R-G-O-N. Your labor. And he equates the labor of God, or the labor of man, with sin. He does that over here in Galatians. I'm going to read a verse. I read it nearly every time I get up in the, this series. I have to give you these verses. Galatians. Galatians, the fifth chapter. Same word, exact word. He says in Galatians 5, in verse 5, 
verse 19. Now the works of the flesh which are manifest are these, the ergon of the flesh. A man that's going to enter God's Sabbath, these are the things he has to stop. You're going to enter into rest. As an old man, I am resting every day. Oh, I get weary. I get grieved. But you're going to get grieved. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes one eighteen. When knowledge is increased, sorrow is increased. He that increases knowledge increases sorrow. And we increase in wisdom, we increase in our grief. I get grieved every day because the more I learn, the more I look at the world, the more I don't want it. I don't dress up in fancy clothes. or I wear bright shirts to teach in so you can see me up against this white board. That's the only reason I wear them. Don't wear them during the day. I've always got on a t-shirt that says something like, God does not love everybody. Predestination is true. I'm not interested in looking great for the world. Now, so he says, the works of the flesh are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness. This is what a man has to cease in order to enter into God's Sabbath. And his Sabbath is the fruit of the Spirit there in verse 22. I am as sure of this as I'm standing here. So when you have the fruit of the Spirit and it grows, fruit is singular. If you have one of them, you have them all, but it has to grow. Because when you start off as a young believer, you got little faith. Look over here in Matthew 6. Matthew 6. All right. Matthew 6. You have to know the difference between no faith, growing faith, and little faith. There's a difference. No faith is apistus. No faith is apistus or apatheia. Pathia means to be persuaded. It means no persuading. Has basically the same meaning as apistus. Now look here at Matthew 6. And this is the people he said, oh, you have little faith to, was usually always the brand new apostles that he had just started calling to be a part of his followers in his ministry. Matthew 6 and verse 30. Verse, I believe it's Matthew 6. One of my six. Okay, hold on. Verse 30. Matthew 6 and verse I'm looking at the wrong thing. No, I'm not. Matthew 6. He says here in 6, in verse 30. Before verse 30, he says, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink. Take thought is the word merimnao, M-E-R-I-M-N-A-O. Let me erase some of this.
M-E-R-I-M-N-A-O. And it means to be distracted from the things of God by the things of this world. It means to be distracted from God. It we it also is comes from the same word Maremna M E R I M N A. Maremna means to worry. Over there in Philippians the fourth chapter, we're not to be concerned about anything other than spiritual things. It's easy to do that when you get older because you know you're not going to live much longer anyway. And the important thing is to live for the Lord the rest of your life. It gets easy because your body gets old and wore out. I don't feel like going out and sin. It's a lot of work. Young people don't realize how hard sin is until you get old. Don't want to go down here to some club and court some girl out on the dance floor. It's a It's a game. I mean, I got my wife and I love my wife. Don't need all that other garbage. So he says, take no thought for your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or how you'll be clothed. Your family and father know that, that you have need of all these things. And the subject is food and clothing. That's the subject. Take no thought for your life, what you'll eat or drink or how you'll be clothed. And then he says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil. They toil not, neither do they spin. What does he mean by spin? They didn't have a spinning wheel. The lilies of the field didn't have a spinning wheel. The birds of the field didn't have a spinning wheel. Yet their heavenly Father feedeth them and he clothes them. He says, if God will so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of Oligos Pistus? The only time you're thinking that way is when you have little bitty faith. You got little faith. Then he says, of course, he's talking to the young baby believers here. Then look over here in Matthew 8. Matthew 8. 26. Well, let's start in verse 23. When he was entered into a ship, the word ship was it to Queen Mary. It meant a boat. Now, some of these charismatics say, see, they had a ship on the Sea of Galilee, and it was like the Queen Mary. God, God was rich, and Jesus was rich, and the apostles were rich. Stupid doctrine. It wasn't a ship, it was a boat. And his disciples followed, and behold, there arose the great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with waves, and Jesus was asleep in the boat. And his disciples came to him and woke him and said, Master, save us, or we'll perish. And he saith unto them, Why are you fearful, O ye of Oligospistus? Because they were young in the faith and they hadn't grown. There's nothing more safe than having Jesus in a boat with you. There's nothing more safe than have Jesus in a life with you. That's the safest you can be. 
it'll come to the point you'll say the storm is raging but I don't care about the storm I look at the storm of life and it's raging in the world and I don't get involved in the voting for anybody anymore I'm not going to vote between two snakes if they if they run somebody for office that talks about a David Cross and self-denial and death to self but first of all they couldn't they couldn't be get to be dog catcher if they believe in death to self and David Cross and being hated. O ye of little faith, then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea. Let Jesus do your fighting against the storms of life. And there was a great calm, and the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds of the sea obey him? Whew. What a what a God. Look at Matthew 14, Matthew 14. I'm just giving you some of these things. On little faith, faith has to grow. Now, 14, 31. 14 and 31. All right, 31. Let me read a little before this. Let me go up here to verse 22 and read some of this chapter. And straightway or immediately Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a boat, says Chip, and to go before him unto the other side while he set the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when evening was come... There he was alone. But the ship, or the boat, the P-I-O-I-N, it means a boat. The boat was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, the fourth watch was from three to six in the morning and it was dark and the apostles were terrified out on the sea they believed that in the sea there were all kinds of demons even the apostles believed this they believed in demons and they proved this right here and in the fourth watch of the night, and they were terrified to be out there when Jesus told them to get into a boat and cross the sea they are going Oh, us? you got to know what they thought about the sea. They believed the Mediterranean Sea had all kinds of demons in it. They believed whales were great big demons. And they believed... They believed that when you got to the pit, that down, that hell had a gate to it, and it was the bottom of the Mediterranean... That's why Jonah said, out of the belly of hell cried I. That was a saying that hell had an opening at the bottom of the sea. See, Jonah wasn't just raving out of his mind. He was saying things that they believed. Now, look at verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went into them, walking on the sea. You know what he was doing when he was walking on the sea? 
He was saying to them, I. When Kenneth Copeland says he never called himself God, he was saying right there, I am God. Look at Job. Go over to Job, the ninth chapter. This will tell you what the God of the earth does. He walks on the sea. Job. Job 9. Job the ninth chapter. And this is the God of the universe. What he was doing is testifying he was exactly who Job said was God. It's read a little of this. Job answered and said, I know it is of a truth. How should man be just with God? If he will contend with him, he cannot answer him one of a thousand one of God's questions. He is wise in heart, mighty in strength, talking about God, who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered. Who can harden himself against God and prosper? Which removeth the mountains and know not which overturneth them in his anger, which shaketh the earth out of her place, and the pillars thereof tremble, which commandeth the sun, and it riseth not, and sealeth up the stars. This is God, which alone spreadeth out his heavens, and treadeth upon the waves of the sea. God was saying, Jesus was saying, I'm the God that walks upon the waters. Now go back over there to... Back over to the 14th chapter of Matthew, verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, I guess so, saying, it is a spirit. They didn't use the common word spirit, which is the word pneuma. That's the word spirit, and the spirit is truth. That's not what they were saying. They said it is a phantasm. We get our word fantasy from that. It meant a demon. You see, the apostles still didn't believe in demons because they had little faith. They were caught up with the superstitions of the land just like everybody else. He's always having to fix their minds. But straightway or immediately Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it's not a demon, it's just me. (laughs) Be not afraid, it's just me. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. When Peter was come down out of the ship, out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And he turned around and looked at the wind boisterous and he became afraid. When we're following Christ, we get afraid of the dangers around us. He was afraid and beginning to sink. And he cried saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and called him and said unto him, O thou of Oligospistus. You you have a little faith, Peter, but you're still young. You're just a kid. You'll grow up. Satan has desired you may sift you as wheat, Peter. says that in the 22nd chapter of Luke after he denied Christ three times. Now, 
Let's look over here at Matthew 16, verse 8. I wanted to show you what little faith is. 16, verse 8. Let's start reading verse 5. And when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. They were out on the sea and they were forgot to take bread with them. And Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And now look at Jesus and go, Duh! We apologize to everybody. We had to stop. I don't worry about mistakes. They're supposed to happen. They're supposed to happen unless you're a great big gigantic mega church with brilliant engineers. We got good engineers. Just we're just little people. All right, Matthew sixteen. Sixteen verse six. Fifty. Sixteen verse six. I don't have my hearing aids in. I had to take them to Belltone so they could update them. So if I'm saying what, what, I mean I can't hear you. <laughs> All right, <laughs> I I can do without them, but I'm always saying what. I tell Mary what. What'd you say? So uh, I know that if if one of you Pentecostals out there will come lay hands on me, I'll have excellent hearing again. Right. You say you shouldn't make fun of them. Tell Elijah that with a priest of Baal. He shouldn't laugh at them, make fun of them. All right. Now, they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is, is it, this verse 7 is funny to me. It's a comical verse because he says, Beware of the leaven of the scribes and Pharisees. And they go, Duh, is it because we didn't bring any bread with us? I think that's nearly comical. They reason among themselves saying, is it because we have taken no bread to beware of the leaven? It shows you how young they were, doesn't it? It's kind of funny. Which when Jesus perceived, he said to them, Oh, ye of Holy Ghost Pistas. Oh, ye of little faith. You're just boys, and I'm going to teach you. It's going to take you some time to learn. Why reason ye among yourselves, because ye have brought no bread? Do you not understand, neither remember the five loaves and the five thousand and the many baskets? I can make bread out of nothing. Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand over in Mark 8. You don't remember that? And how many baskets you took up? You took up 12 baskets full after the five loaves and two fishes so that none would be lost. How is it that you do not understand that I spake not to not of you concerning bread, but that you beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then understand they how he bade them not beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees. Beware of Pentecostals and Baptists and Presbyterians and people who don't really believe in predestination and Christmas is pagan. Beware of people that don't believe in the daily cross and death to self and self-denial and being hated by the world. When you tell people about the truth of Christmas and predestination, it doesn't take any more than that to make them hate you. 
and the Sadducees. Now, I give you one more of these. It's this, he repeats in Luke twelve, twenty-eight. He's repeating Matthew six. He says this usually to the. If he says a little faith, that means little faith can grow. Little faith only belongs to believers. To have a little faith, you have to be a believer. To have no faith, you're an unbeliever unless God comes and works on you and puts it in your heart. So little faith can grow and little faith will grow, won't it? We know little faith will grow because it's a command of God that it grow. Isn't it? Second Peter. Let's go to Second Peter. One of my favorite sections of Scripture, Second Peter 1, and starting in verse 5. And he's telling the people that are believers. He's not telling them. He's commanding them to add to their faith. I've had one guy that used to come here said, faith doesn't grow. You have as much faith when you first get saved as whenever you've been uh, saved for 20 years. Well, you probably do because you're not growing. In fact, I don't even believe he had, I don't even believe he was a believer. If it was a he. Talk like a he. Now, Second Peter. Little faith will grow. God's got to kill off that outer man and the strength of the inner man grows and grows and grows and grows. I love that inner man and outer man picture. Now, he says here in Second Peter 1 and verse 5, so the apostles have little faith when they first calls them. They're not strong at all. Their reasoning is terrible. They're like a bunch of kids, and that's what they were. They weren't old men. Jesus wouldn't call a bunch of old men to follow him and expect them to live for 30 or 40 years preaching. Besides that, younger men have a lot more energy and a lot more stick to it. Now, over here in Second Peter 1 and 5, talking about, let's read a little before that. Simon Peter, verse 1. Simon Peter, servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, this next phrase is very important. To them. To who? To them that have obtained like precious faith. He's only writing to people who are believers. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to believers. To them that obtain like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you, believers, and through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, according to his divine power, hath given unto us, me and you, young believers, all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue. Called us, me and you. This is not to unbelievers. 
and to most of them are probably have oligospistus because he says in the next verse whereby are given to us us you and me so who he's writing to are fellow believers exceeding great and precious promises remember I defined the word promise epangelia or epang epagelia epangelia is comes from epi and angelos a g g e l o s which is the word angel and forget the word angel throw that out of your bible the word means messenger You can have a heavenly messenger like Michael or Gabriel. Or Gabriel. But you can also have earthly messengers. And all the preachers of the churches were called angels or messengers. You can have Jim Brown as an angel. An angel was a messenger of any kind. When you... A little kid that goes next door to borrow a cup of sugar. The one that goes over there, he can be eight years old. He's an angel, not because he's a sweet little boy, but because he's a messenger. That's an angel. That's the common word messenger. I don't know why they didn't translate messenger, but they didn't. Because that's what it means. That epangelia means to cover with the message of God, the angelos. Cover with the message. And that's only given to God's predestinated elect family. So every one of God's people, what's really coupled with that, with epangelia, would be the word hope. Hope means to depend. Elpis, C-L-P-I-S. It comes from E-L-P-I-Z-O. Which means to depend upon a promise that's been made to all of God's elect. He's promised us even eternal life. He's promised us a hard time. He's promised us trials and persecution and tribulation. He's promised all this to us. This word hope does not mean, I hope I get a new car. That's not it. We are messed up when we look at these words. Then he says, that be these Let me read that again, verse 4. Whereby were given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And then he said, besides all this, what I just said in verse 4, give all diligence, add to your faith. Your faith has to increase. That's not an option to you and I. Add is a command. It's an imperative mood. If God is the one 
If God is the one that inspired Peter to write these words, if the Holy Spirit, then this is a command from God himself. It's not a choice on our part. When he says add, it's it's much of... If God had stuck his head out of the sky and he had a head 14 million miles wide and had a mouth that was... 13 million mile wide and said add to your faith I'm commanding you I'm not asking you if you want to this is not a choice add is the word epicoregeo e-p-i-c-h-o-r-e-g-e-o it has to do with a choreography it comes from koros and ago Ago means to lead. Koros is a circular dance. And he says, you got to dance to add to your life. And it's seven things. The Jews had a circular dance that they called the Haggadah. The Haggadah was a circular dance, not to be confused with the Haggadah, the, the commentary of the Talmud. Not to be confused with that. It was a circular dance where they would dance in a circle and sing Havanagila. You've seen them do that. They danced that dance at all of their festivals. I don't know if that's the exact one, but he said, I got a circular dance for you, and I'm commanding you to dance it and superimpose it upon your life. Epi means to cover your life with this dance. And this is increasing your faith. Add to your faith. I'm not asking you if you want to. If you will start with a little faith, Oligos Pistis, and I will command you to add. And that makes you strong. And as you add to your faith, you enter more into God's rest of the inner man. That's like this inner man, all these concentric circles is adding to your faith and you're burning out pride and self and conceit and arrogance. And we all have that in the outer man when we're young, don't we? We certainly do. How much time do I have, Mike? Thirteen. And he said, here's what I'm commanding you to add so you don't, your faith is no longer oligos pistis. You add, first of all, virtue. That takes a lifetime to add virtue. The word is arete. A-R-E-T-E. It means mature. How long does it take you to grow up in the faith? A-R-E-T-E. Arete means to be mature. Well, it takes 30, 40, 50 years. God is not saying add to your faith one day. It takes a long time to add maturity. It's a synonym for teleos. Telos is the word perfect. Be therefore perfect. As your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Be made to mature. It has the basic same meaning as a rete. It's a synonym. And then he says, 
add to faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Gnosis. How long does it take you to learn all these things? I've spent a lifetime studying. I haven't had all good years. I had some years where I was trying to get rich and be famous. And I went off and veered off and went away from the Lord. And everybody has done that, haven't we? All of us. And we put Christ to an open shame and crucify the Son of God afresh in our lives. That's what it's talking about in Hebrews 6. Knowledge. I've spent... People ask, well, how do we add knowledge? How do you study? You don't pick out 15 or 20 minutes in the morning before you go to work and have your your quiet time with Jesus. That's not it. You stay in a study mode around the clock. You don't try to find an hour to study in. I've got all kinds of books in my house. I've got some up here. I've got several thousand books in my library at home. I'm always reaching up just... If I'm watching a ball game, I'm not going to sit there and waste the, waste the time just on a ball game. I always got a McClinic and Strong out or, or some Hastings out or some other book I've got. And I'm perusing the book, whatever that means. <laughs> I'm just kind of thumbing through the book and reading paragraphs and sentences. And I'm always looking for information. I love information that keeps you from being fooled and keeps you from being deceived. So I stay in a study mode and sometimes I just look up one sentence, one subject, maybe three o'clock in the morning and I'll wake up going, wonder what that word is. I've got to go check it out, make sure I was right. And I run upstairs and I pull a book out and look at it. Yeah, that was right. And I put it back up and go back to bed. And sometimes I'll have a pen and I'll write something down. A lot of times right after I shower, I say, I forgot to do so-and-so. I forgot this word. I need to look it up. Now, I got some little post-it notes in the bathroom. Some of them are large, some are small. I'll pull one out and say, look up so-and-so. And I'll put it, and i lay it on the, on the vanity. And when I leave, after I shave and everything, I'll find it and I'll put it in my pocket. I'll look it up after a while when I get around to it. As you stay thinking constantly. And you don't have to read a lot. Just read a little. Here and here and here and there. That makes you hungry. And sometimes my five minutes will grow into an hour. So I don't try to find times to study. I just keep studying. I keep reading. There's nothing that will set you free like information. Makes you free. And I don't have to worry about who I talk to because I'm going to have something to say to them about the truth. And then after knowledge, you add, after knowledge, you add temperance. But you have to realize when you add knowledge and you grow up and you have virtue, Temperance in Kratia, E-G-K-R-E-T-E-I-A. That comes from N and Kratuo, K-R-E-T-E-U-O. 
It means strength within. It means inner strength. It means strength that's in your heart, and that's not going to be in there without adding knowledge. The more knowledge you add, the stronger you get. So we're talking about coming out of little faith to strong faith. And then he says, to temperance, you add patience. Well, when you get stronger mentally and spiritually, and you're growing up, each one of these follows the other. You can't, you cannot add patience without going through fire. But the knowledge is going to take you through fire. Being mature will take you through fire. You'll be willing to take a stand for the truth. The more you know, the more you know, it makes you strong. Do you not know that? Makes you strong to have a lot of knowledge. I know anybody I run into, I know nearly every negative question most everybody in the public will ask. Was it went into the swine? That's the first thing they want to know about demons when I say there's nothing, there's no such thing as demons. And I go into a lengthy explanation on that. That's the first thing a lot of people want to know. Well, what's the spirits in prison? They think I don't have an answer. I have answers from here to yonder about the spirits in prison. So you had patience. The trying of your faith is more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried by fire. Patience is the word hupo monet. It is the noun form of the verb hupo meno. Hupomeno is the word endure. He that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. But if you endure, it's because you have patience that's been tried by fire. Count it all joy when you fall into tribulation, knowing that the, this trying of your faith works patience. And let patience have its perfect work. That you may be perfect, mature, and entire, not needing anything. <coughs> Perfect is teleos. And to temperance, patience. The trying of your faith works patience. So when it says add patience, you have to go through the fire. And you have to be willing to go through the fire. But you're not going to be willing if you got Holy God's pistis. Puny faith. And then he says... After patience, godliness. Eusebia. E-U-S-E-B-E-I-A. When you look that word up, it will tell you it's the gospel scheme. The gospel is the resurrection. And that's daily in our lives because we die daily. So when you're godly, you're dying daily. Eusebia, well, Sebomai. It means to be like God, like Jesus, who is God. And then he says, Boy, I could spend hours on this brotherly kindness. Philos Adelphos. Philos 
Philosadelphos. We get the word Philadelphia from that. It means brotherly love. I don't think Philadelphia is a with all their drugs and their killings, I don't think they're a city of brotherly love. Philos, A-D-E-L-P-H-O-S. Adelphos is the word brother. <coughs> Philos means to have affection for, for your brother, but you're not supposed to show affection if he's not walking rightly. If a brother, if a man calls himself a brother, and he's walking walking not right if you can see this in in uh, second second Timothy second Thessalonians the second chapter if a brother's not walking orderly attack at I'll get it in a minute attacktos It means disorderly, we're not to fellowship with him. So, those that are walking orderly, we're to have affection for our brothers. And you're going to have to know how to read what they're doing. Their lives. And then he says, and boy, how long would it take me to talk about this? Brotherly kindness, charity. The word charity is agape. But notice the order these come in. One has to precede the other and one has to follow the other. You can't be walking in God's commandments. Agape is walking in his commandments. Second John 6. This is agape that we walk after his commandments. Second John 6. And when you look at the charity chapter... In 1 Corinthians 13, it'll tell you all the things you have to be walking in. 2 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, they call that the love chapter. It's the agape chapter. It has to be connected to 2 John 6, 1 Corinthians 13. And I don't have any time left. Am I out of time? One minute. How long? One minute. One. What can I say in a minute? Not much. Agape is walking in the commandments of God and it will tell you that charity, I can't even start on it. Charity is kind, meets all kinds of needs. It suffereth long, it's long-suffering. you got to look at Second Corinthians 13 to know how you have charity. It'll tell you all these things, but you've got to go into the Greek to know what it means. It suffereth long and is kind. It doesn't lift itself up. It doesn't vaunt itself. doesn't boast. How long does it take you to get over yourself? That's what charity is. I'm out of time. I've got to come back to this. i got no faith you got to know what faith is. In the latter time, some shall depart from the faith. What are they departing from? They have to believe believers to depart. I need to stop right here. <laughs> I'll come back next week and we'll keep going on this faith thing because that's what they didn't have when they wouldn't go into 
the land of Anak. They had no faith. They didn't believe God could... When you fight for your ways and your rights, you're not believing God. If it's happening to you, it's supposed to be happening. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for truth. Cause us to continue your work. Help us in all that we do. You fight our battles, Lord. We're not going to fight anybody ever again. I'm not. I'm just tired of arguing and fighting. I'm doing the best I can. I pray you'll give me all the truth you can give me, Lord. We'll praise you for everything. Lead us your elect family. Give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. I feel like I've been drunk down a road behind a pickup truck face down. That was a long letter reading. Y'all got two messages today, didn't you? Huh? I can't hear you. I don't have my hearing aid. If you got strength, we'll stay. So we'll do some more. So we'll grab us a hamburger and you start again. Maybe the church will get a hold of a lot of this and they'll learn. I can't get off this subject of Hebrews, the third and fourth chapter. Y'all realize how much there is in the Bible to teach on? I can get on Hebrews 3 and 4 and just stay on it the rest of my life about the spiritual Sabbath and it takes me all over the Bible. I don't know if people want this much information. I don't think America wants it. You know? But if the believers can get a hold of it, it'll make them strong. All I know is a little bit that there is to know. I mean a little bit. There is, if everybody could stand from where I stand and look at the things that I'm wanting to learn, I'm going to God, I'll never learn this. It's so much. You can take every word in the Bible and branch it all over the Scripture. Every word. Every concept. You can go to the Old Testament. You can take Paul's writings when he said, Add to your faith. You can take the first word, virtue, and spend months on it, just virtue, going to all the parts of the Bible that you're supposed to be mature. And you connect it. You can take knowledge and go to all the parts of Scripture. You can take patience and everywhere it goes in the New Testament and give every illustration that it has. It's... uh, I see how much there is to learn.